Hi, I'm Dr. Mitzi Crockover, and welcome to this special episode of Beyond the Paper Gown. Recently, I had the opportunity to travel to Basel, Switzerland, and be a part of the Fem Technology Summit being held on the Roche campus there. Participants from all over the world came together to consider several key questions concerning women's health, but rather than listen to a number of panels with expert speakers, the attendees were asked to participate in workshops that explored various topics, such as AI and the gender data gap, women-centric cancer care, the business case for women's health, and more. I was asked to facilitate workshops on the role of the media in women's health and how women get their health information. On the eve of the summit, I had the pleasure of interviewing the event's organizer, Oriana Kraft, who founded the Fem Technology Organization, and Stephanie Sossman, the Global Strategy Lead for Roche's Women's Health Initiatives. It was a real treat, not only to get to talk to these dynamic women, but it was also the first podcast conducted in Roche's new podcast studio, and I want to personally thank Roche for the honor and the opportunity. We not only talked about the summit, but also about how a large pharmaceutical company such as Roche can make a real impact on women's health. It's a wonderful peek into how such a large corporation can make a big difference in unexpected ways. I am actually podcasting here from Basel, Switzerland at the Roche headquarters. It is such a pleasure to be with my two guests, and we're going to go ahead and get started because it's going to be a really wonderful conversation. I'll start with my first guest, Stephanie Sassman. Stephanie, go ahead and introduce yourself. Thank you so much, Mitzi, and it's great to be here with you in Basel. My name is Stephanie Sassman, and I am the portfolio lead for Women's Health at Roche, and I'm normally based in San Francisco, California. So we had to come all the way to Switzerland to meet each other. Exactly. (laughs) It's great to have you. During the last part of our conversation, we're going to be hearing from Oriana Kraft. So Oriana, please introduce yourself as well. Hi. It's awesome to be here. I I had a little bit of a shorter trip from Geneva. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I run Fem Technology, which has a variety of initiatives, one of which is Fem Technology Summit, which brings together femtech startups, researchers, clinicians, and corporates for a 360-degree perspective on innovation in women's health. Yeah, and we like to say we're trying to build the future of women's health. Terrific. It really is wonderful being with both of you and literally across ponds, if you will. And I met both of you online during the pandemic. And I feel like I've known you the minute I saw you come in. It was very familiar. Uh, And I think that's the beauty of maybe being women and also dealing with something that we're so passionate about, and that's women's health. So again, thank you so much for being with me today. Stephanie, we're going to go ahead and start with you. Roche is a large pharmaceutical company. So tell us a little bit about Roche. So the company just celebrated its 125th anniversary last year. And we are a company that, yes, we have a pharmaceutical business, but we also have a diagnostic business. And those are both really important components of what we do. And they're both areas where we have a longstanding commitment to women's health. And as a company, um, because of our work that we have in medicines and in diagnostics and in other technologies, we really look at ourselves as a leader in bringing forward personalized healthcare, personalized medicines, 
personalized diagnostics to really ensure that the right patients get the right treatment. And in this case, that women are getting the treatments that they need. And we're talking about Roche has really taken a special interest and incorporated women's health really in your DNA and in your strategy. So give us a brief overview or tell us a little bit about that initiative. I mean, stepping back, when we look at our commitment to women's health, it's it's really been a longstanding part of uh, of Roche as a company. And it's, it's about supporting a woman not only in, in sickness, but also in, in wellness for women as well. And so our diagnostics part of our company has um, many different tests and assays that support a woman through a, a period of pregnancy where there's a lot of vulnerability for her and the baby. And so in, in many markets, they have over 80% of the tests that would be taken during that time period and also around fertility, all the way through, you know, to when we think about maybe different disease courses that may come up in women. And then when we look at our uh, medicine side of the business, then we, we have many areas that we're in that predominantly or differently impact women where we are moving things forward. And so a long history, of course, in breast cancer, as well as other women's cancers, but also other diseases that impact women. And so, you know, I think that that's part of when we holistically look at the contributions that we're making, we really want to think about it across our company, across the whole patient journey. But as you begin to do that, you realize that just getting the test, just getting a medicine, it's not enough, right? And there really is a whole ecosystem that needs to come together to address the many gaps that women face. And that's where we have seen this explosion of women's health startups or the so-called femme technology sector that we're really passionate about supporting and, and helping that advance. And that also links back to Roche's longstanding history of innovation and a company that supports innovation and wants to have a healthy sector of, um, of different products and technologies that are supporting the patient journey because no one company can do it alone. And, and what we need is to see more value for innovation. Absolutely. And so how do you support the, that innovation and those smaller companies? Yeah, I mean, so one way that we, we support that is is through the work that, that we do um, with our innovation lab and through partnerships with groups like Oriana's Femme Technology Organization, as well as another group out of Switzerland called Tech Forever and other, other groups, you know, that we have discussions with where we're really working on holding forums like this Femme Technology Summit holding discussions where there can be mentorship and, and conversations about how do you show innovation? How do you chart a path forward to partner with a bigger company? How do you chart a path forward to reimbursement? Um, and so I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it might be there are some technologies that we might be interested in, in incorporating into, into some of our work whether it's part of clinical studies or whether it's part of something commercialized. And so it's something that we're always on the lookout for. Sure. And, and, it's, and it's an area that, you know, we would like to see thrive because we know how many gaps women face. And it's only going to get better if, if we start realizing that these are things that are worth investing in. Absolutely. And we're going to talk more about the Fem Technology Summit in just a little bit. I want to go back to something that I think you were alluding to in terms of 
And I love the fact that not only did you talk about women's health in terms of the reproductive health space, but the acknowledgement that women certainly experience other health conditions that both men and women experience, but perhaps differently present or need different diagnostics or treatment for. And so talk a little bit about how Roche incorporates women in clinical studies, for example. And you talked earlier about personalized medicine and personalized diagnostics. How do you make that happen? Yeah, I mean, what we know is that personalized medicine can't truly become a reality if more than half the population is, is left behind. Of course, we are incorporating women into our studies, and we're looking at the epidemiology of our disease populations and looking at the, at the women that are incorporated, you know, just like we would also look at the other diversity and inclusion aspects of our studies when we look at race and ethnicity and those factors, because we need to look more holistically at our data and have that data available. So, of course, that is part of what we do. And also one of the things we are interested in learning more about are what might be barriers that are specific to women to being able to enroll into trials. And also are some of those barriers intersectional if we think about women, because women are not a monolith. Absolutely. And so women, they come in all shapes and sizes. They can come in all different ethnicities and different races. When we look at the social determinants of health, when we think about the income status, when we think about the race, when we think about sexual orientation, we know that there are different barriers that, that women may face. And, you know, we know that there are systemic inequalities. So there's a kind of challenge on the equity side, just being a woman, but then there's the intersectional challenge of if you're a woman and you're black, of course. Um, or if you're a woman and you're LGBTQ. Also, if we think about pregnant women, right? Talk about a population where we have little to no data about any medicine. Yeah. Can you give us an example of how you're looking at how to increase women's inclusion in the study, not inclusion studies, but access to studies. I really resonate with what you're saying because I'm a board member of the Black Women's Health Imperative, and we talk about this all the time in terms of the dearth of black women, really black people, in a lot of clinical studies because it may not be easy to be in those studies. There's some mistrust of the system and so forth. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes from us listening and so we have a lot of different patient groups and advocacy groups that we work with around the world, and we have a chance to listen to them and listen to the barriers that they face. And, and those barriers could come from any of the social determinants of health, but we also make sure that sex and gender are a part of that as well. For example, I had the chance to join a discussion recently with a group that we have in the U.S. for women with hemophilia and rare blood disorders. Mm. And I wasn't aware of how many challenges they faced with actually even just getting a diagnosis and getting to see a treatment center because it is viewed that it's a much more male-dominated disease and there's a view that women aren't as severely impacted and there could be more to unpack there in terms of, well, what is the diagnostic criteria and has that been, you know, adequately set up? And so I think where it needs to start is by us listening. And there, fortunately, are a lot of women out there who are part of advocacy groups and who are willing to, to share about their experiences. Oftentimes, those experiences are 
really painful to learn about. And so we try to approach that with empathy and just with like a really listening ear, because that's the only way that we're going to learn. You know, I saw in some of the materials that you sent to me that you're collecting stories. Are you still doing that? Yes, we are. So we launched last summer X Project, which was really shaped because we we knew, you know, as we looked into the gaps and the barriers that we found in women's health, that this wasn't something that we could solve alone. And we needed to have an umbrella where we could talk about this externally. And X Project was really a perfect name because it was inspired by the X chromosome, knowing that, you know, two-thirds of genomic studies didn't even include the X chromosome. And so there's this missing X that there's a lot of catching up to do, essentially. And so what X Project is about was, was about listening. It's about understanding. And so we also shared as well some of these what we call not-so-fun facts about some of the gaps that women face in their health, like, for instance, the fact that it can take an average of almost... 10 years to get a diagnosis of endometriosis, which affects one in 10 women. And going to seven doctors, right, in the meantime. Exactly. But then the next step after sharing these not-so-fun facts was really the listening part. And so we, we have this My Story for Change, and that's where we are still collecting stories, but we've already gotten over 600 from women around the world really understanding the gaps that they're facing. But but we also want to have partnerships and things like the projects that we have with Fem Technology Summit and others that I mentioned and, and other discussions that are still ongoing. And because we don't want to just talk about the problems or talk about the stories, but, but then use that to elevate that to truly drive systemic change. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about this Fem Technology Summit is the fact that it can truly bring together in one room that 360-degree view that Oriana mentioned, bringing together the, the founders, bringing together the researchers, bringing together the clinicians, bringing together the hospitals, bringing together the payers, bringing together the big pharma, the small companies, you know, we, we have to work on on solving this together. Absolutely. And if someone wants to share their story with you, how might they do that? They can go to the X Project website, and there's a page specifically where you can share the My Story for Change, and we can certainly provide that link. And we will put that in the podcast notes, yes. so thank you for that. And again, before we turn over to Oriana and talk about the summit, which I'm very excited to do so, just a couple more questions. And one of them is that what we've seen, I think, is that this increase in interest in women's health and more studies being done and more focus being put on it is because more women are getting involved at life science stages, at the entrepreneur stage, and certainly in leadership. And again, I noted in some of the materials that you sent me is that leadership was something that you all identified as really important. You have a CEO that's a woman. How important is that? And how do you see that dynamic changing the face of women's health? I mean, I think having women in leadership is critical. And I think if we look at women being half the population, that we should be seeing women being half the leadership. And we also know that when, you know, even if we start start at the bench, start in research, we know that when we have female scientists, they're more likely to consider the women's perspective and to study in women's health. And so there needs to be strong women leaders across the way 
And also, we need to see more women leaders in government. And that's an area where we've fallen behind as a world. And I do see that to be quite important and an area that, that needs to be focused on. Because I think it's really clear, and the case has been made, that when a society, when an economy invests in women's health that that actually benefits the whole society and the whole population. You know, you can look at maternal death rates in a country and you can track that directly to their GDP. And so I, I think it's that case has been long made and we need to see more prioritization of it. And I do think that women in leadership are a part of it. Now, that's not to say we can have male leaders that can also be an advocate, right? And many of them have daughters and they want them to grow up in a world that is different than the world that we're in. But it's been far too long that men have been the default human in medicine. (laughs) And I look at it and I'm like, I don't want another generation to go through that. Well, now we will turn to Oriana. So Oriana, talk a little bit about not only the summit, but what is FEM technology? Yeah, so um, as, I, as I said a little bit before, um, we like to say we're trying to build the future of women's health, and we do that by a variety of initiatives. Um, so one, which is not the summit, is a university series that we run where we go to sort of leading universities around the world. We uh, did one at ETH. Um, we did one at Imperial College. ETH is a, is a polytechnical university. Um, yeah, it's actually where the first FEM technology summit happened. Um, it was my was my bachelor's thesis um, in in medical school. Um, I was always really fascinated uh, by the possibility for digital solutions to help improve the patient experience. Um, so I think in medicine we focus a lot on the health aspect of healthcare, right? Prescribing medication, um, diagnostics, and that's tremendously important. But we also know that. If a patient feels listened to, feels heard, if we prioritize what's important to them, if we, you know, really involve them in shared decision making, the outcomes are much better, right? Um, and we know that that, particularly for women, is a huge problem, right? The the UK did a, a national women's health survey where 84% of women felt dismissed. So right now, the healthcare system is not is not set up uh, to really provide a satisfactory patient experience for women. Um, And so, yeah, I was introduced to a lot of the shocking statistics around women's health um, in gynecology. Um, I didn't know that, I didn't actually even know endometriosis was a disease, right? And it impacts one in in 10 women. So if I had had it, I I would have no inkling to go to those seven doctors for it. I would think that there was something wrong with me. And I think that that's inherently the problem in women's health is that these diseases are so taboo and so not talked about um, that there's a huge activation problem. And I think that that's what's so beautiful about sort of X Project. There's there's power in the collective and in raising your voice. It's not just about listening. It's about saying it's okay for you to speak up. I was introduced um, to, to these diseases for the first time. And uh, the course was really supposed to be about designing the future of healthcare, but they introduced us to these diseases and were just like, if you have it, you're screwed. And that didn't really sit well with me, right? Um, I started Googling around, are there any startups in women's health? And that's how I came across Femtech. Um, And as our thesis, we were supposed to do some lab work, right? Translational medicine. Um, I don't like labs. Um, So I asked if I could organize a conference. And that was how the first Femme Technology Summit came to be. And you um, did that during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and actually, it panned out for me. Um, <laughs> so I, I think I really lucked out because 
people were sort of exploring this new digital format for the first time. And so they just sort of like came across topics that were interesting to them. And I had like the founder of gender medicine, um, at least in Europe, come come speak at the summit, all, all those kinds of people that would that would never have happened if it was just like a regular uh, bachelor thesis and not in very strange times. 700 people attended the first summit. Then we grew it to 1,500 in over 60 countries the second time. And now we're doing it in collaboration with Roche this year. Um, so it's been it's been fun. How did that collaboration come to be? Um, so I think, you know, Roche is a very large organization, so it kind of came uh, in a, in a two-pronged way. Um, one was with Stephanie. Um, I, I, at a, at actually my first industry event ever, I went to a women's health summit and, uh, we crossed paths and, and we connected and, uh, we, we stayed in conversation and she's been doing tremendous work, um, in women's health and they really wanted to support the initiative. And so that, that collaboration came to be, and they also have an innovation lab. So talk a little bit about this summit, because it's a very different kind of format. And what is your hope for the outcome? Yeah, so it's a different format because the first summit was really, I hadn't, like I said, I had no idea endometriosis was even a disease, right? So for me, it was a learning curve. I wanted to learn from the best. I wanted to learn from the people that were innovating. So I reached out to researchers, to clinicians, to startups. And 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 also, I think two years ago, that's sort of where we were as a society and as a culture. We needed to learn about women's health, which is sad. Um, but now there are actually a lot of conferences about women's health, or there's starting to be more and more. And so, but what you see in a lot of those conferences is a lot of the same people in the same room talking about the same problems. Um, and it, there are many problems in women's health, to be sure, but there are also a lot of experts in women's health. And there's a lot of people that if you bring them together, there's a tremendous, I think, catalytic energy that can be unleashed. Um, so that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to bring together innovators in women's health, different types of stakeholders that don't tend to cross paths. A lot of times you have startups and VCs siloed in one room. You have researchers presenting at academic conferences. You have clinicians in another space, pharma companies obviously separated. Um, and yeah, we, did, we, we wanted to say, no, we're going to break down these walls. Uh, we're going to break down silos in women's health, and we're going to bring together people around content area also. No pitches, no selling. This is not about I'm the best, I'm the greatest. This is about there's a problem and I have something to contribute. So we selected specific problem areas in women's health. So, for example, you're facilitating the workshop on the role of media um, and the clinician in women's health because, as outlined in this conversation, there's been a lack of of awareness around women's health. Um, and so sort of, ha and, and that lack of awareness, that lack of knowledge um, has sort of eroded faith in clinicians, right? Which, which is somewhat unfair because the fact of the matter is they haven't been provided with the material. I came across a stat actually just yesterday that says that most medical textbooks, um, only 36% of the people in, in the anatomical models are women, right? So you're, you're, it's a, they're not being provided with the information to provide adequate care. Um, so that's a problem area. What can we do? What role should media play in terms of educating women? What role should clinicians play, given that they often have very limited time? Uh, we're also going to be talking about the gender data health gap, uh, financing innovation in women's health, um, the business case for women's health solutions, uh, redesigning healthcare with women in mind, women-centric cancer care, which is obviously, um, I think, very near and dear to Roche. And ESG alignment for women's health. I knew I was gonna. Yeah, I knew I was gonna forget one. Oh, that's a very ambitious summit. But uh, if anybody can pull it off, I think it can be done here. It's just it's one day, so your job is not done after, or our job, I should say, is not done after we leave. So what is the plan? Yeah, obviously we we realize you you can't tackle all of that in one day. Um, you also can't have all those people in one room for multiple days. That's also sort of the, the confluence of factors. So we're really seeing this as a launching pad. Um, there, there, 
is power in bringing people together in the same room. There's power in, in the connections that are formed. And so we, we see this as the start of a conversation. Um, the working product is then going to be expanded upon. So we, not everybody could be present here, but there are experts and innovators whose opinion we want and we want to help carry it forward. And each workshop, because it's dealing with such a different subject matter, um, the outcome is going to be slightly different, right? So, uh, for example, in the women-centric cancer care workshop, we want to sort of reimagine what an ideal uh, patient journey uh, for a woman undergoing cancer treatment might look like. Um, is fertility routinely talked about? Um, um, is sexual pleasure routinely talked about, right? We, we see those statistics, and uh, I think there was a study that, that showed that 89% uh, of men undergoing uh, brachytherapy when they had prostate cancer were asked about their sexual pleasure versus um, either 0 or 13% of women, but, uh, yeah. you know, way too low. Um, and so that's what that I ideal output looks like. Um, for the role of the clinician and media in women's health, we really want to sort of bring journalists more actively into the conversation and sort of ask about, you know, um, how, do, how do you see your role as being? How can you more actively cover these topics? I know that there's going to be some takeaways and also some action items. So um, for all of these topics, we want the stakeholders that are necessary to drive it forward to get involved and to reach out. We're going to be proactively reaching out to them. So like for the business case for Women's Health Solutions, we really want to talk to people in HR. Um, we want to know what will it take for you to actually buy into these solutions to incorporate them. You are obviously struggling with multiple priorities, but women's health is in a state of crisis. And we're seeing that with the conversation around menopause. Women have had it. You're losing them in the workforce. So what do you need? What evidence do you want to provide? That's what that's what we want to do. We want to help make it easier for people to incorporate and in to integrate these solutions um, for media as well. Um, there, there's tremendous interest. We're seeing it, the explosion on social media, which, um, you know, can have problematic consequences because 72% of women never double check um, their, their social media information. But um, yeah, for, for, for media, what kind of information would be helpful for, for them to have? I just want to say, I think, um, how sort of amazed I am um, of so many individuals with so many different backgrounds really coming forward to sort of move the needle in women's health. Um, and, and I think that that's what's really beautiful also about the summit is that everybody has something that they can contribute because um, everybody has a special skill set, um, has a different background, has a different life experience. Um, and it's really sort of when we bring that all together, that change happens. That's absolutely correct. Stephanie Sassman of Roche and Oriana Kraft of Fem Technology, thank you so much for being with me today. And also, I'm looking forward to spending the next day tomorrow at this very exciting conference. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mitzi. We really appreciate your support and your traveling over to Switzerland. <laughs> Always a pleasure to um, be on a podcast with Oriana. Terrific. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Stephanie, for, for hosting this and, and bringing us all together and, and Mitzi for such a stimulating conversation. I'm now recording this ending after the summit has concluded, and it was an incredible experience. Roche Pharmaceuticals was a wonderful host and provided a great facility and support to accommodate this innovative program. And Oriana and her Fem Technology team created a terrific meeting that inspired creative thinking about ways to improve women's health. In my workshop on the media and women's health information, I was energized by the level of discussion, the breadth of the participants' skills and knowledge, and their passion for the subject. We had clinicians, entrepreneurs, scientists, writers, and influencers, just to name a few of the roles that our participants were engaged in. 
It made for a lively conversation, and we also had some men in the audience providing their expertise and perspective. I'm looking forward to many other opportunities to consider these essential questions concerning women's health and how we can approach the challenges with solutions that will impact women at any stage, age, culture, or background. We will be sure to bring you information about the summit, as well as how you can get involved going forward. We'll post in our newsletter and on our social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, and subscribe to our newsletter at beyondthepapergown.com. As always, thank you for listening and take good care. Our podcast was produced by Patrick Shambayati and me, and our associate producer is Kyla McMillian. A special thanks to Killian Stokeland, who provided us with on-site technical assistance in Switzerland.